networking. What exactly is it? The definition is actually still the same. It's one, building relationships before you need them, and two, networking is the transference of trust. When you network, what are you looking for? What are your three biggest business challenges over the next six to nine months? And often that includes, I need a salesperson, I need developer, I need a CFO, I need something. Is networking different for women? There really is a significant difference in how men network versus women. For example, Many women feel like they're imposing if they ask a friend or a colleague to do them a favor or to help them solve a problem. And what do you expect to get out of it? People go to as many networking events as they possibly can, thinking they're going to meet a lot of people, and it's a numbers game. Quite frankly, I think it's more meeting the right people. This is The Language of Business. A weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn from experts about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at networking. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Feel you have too many people in your life? Are you networking with the right ones? Welcome to author and speaker Diane Darling to Language of Business. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. 15 years ago when the Wall Street Journal interviewed you, you were one of only a handful of people teaching folks how to network. Just three of us. Now it's commonplace, but yet your business is still thriving. Why? Well, now it's commonplace because everybody who has a LinkedIn profile thinks they know what they're doing. And what I have discovered is we're actually overwhelmed with people. If I said to you, who are the three people who you should connect with in the next week? Could you actually think of three or is it 30? I guess it depends for what purpose. Well, and that's the, one of the other things is right. I have something called the weather report, which is whether or not you talk to somebody. Okay. That's <laughs> so cute. It's quite, it's cute, but it's also effective because it helps you really focus on time management and what you are asking for the person and what you're hoping to receive. But couldn't it be said that you should keep all avenues open because you never know when, if you've closed a door, you need to reopen it again? I don't close the door. It's just which ones are most active at that moment. But if you're not responding to somebody's emails or their outreach or their LinkedIn invitation, are you effectively closing a door? Depends. I think what happens is, is if someone reaches out to me and says, Diane, I saw you in the Wall Street Journal. Or, or in the language of business. Or in the language of business. Thank you very much. You know, I'd love to connect. I'll say yes to that. If it's the generic, be in my network, be in my network, be in my network, and there's no context, that one's less of a priority because they haven't necessarily said who can connect with. So if someone you don't know sends you a Facebook invitation or a LinkedIn invitation, are you automatically going to say yes or no? If they have the generic, I will park it. I'll wait till a rainy day, a snowy day, and I think after 90 days, LinkedIn purges them, so I lose them. So you, by parking it, you mean you're not going to say no, but you're not going to respond until you get around to it. Exactly. And then I'll have a chance to see, oh, how do we know each other, or what do they do, or is there somebody in common that we know? How do you define effective networking today? The definition is actually still the same. It's one, building relationships before you need them, and two, networking is the transference of trust. And ultimately, to what goal? Are you trying to do business? Are you trying to have a larger network? Again, if you have a large network, it's a lot of people. Is there quality? Is it the right people? And but there's a certain je ne sais quoi when he, she, it says they know everybody. Yes, and I'm known as that person. Right. And that's flattering. I also, in some cases, though, find that the person I might introduce you to isn't the person who most people know. 
or it's not the top of mind person because I often see people kind of in the, under the radar. I also find when people say, oh, can you give me more referrals? Or come you haven't given me your business. I'm like, I give you me. If I give you referrals, I can give you many. So if people can now do this on their own, if you look at the cynically, what value are you adding? So what I am adding when I go into corporations, and most of my work is with corporations and businesses, I'm helping them figure out how to leverage the internal networks that they have. What for you, that company or for the individual employees who work there? Both, both. This morning I was in a meeting. The person's a financial advisor, new in the business. I said, have you gone to LinkedIn and found people who are like what you do, but in a different state, so you're not competitors? What do you think is the most effective networking vehicle today? I still think it is in person at least once. You know, you don't necessarily have to do that over and over and over again, but meeting people in person, you get a good sense of who they are. What's their oh, vibe, their authenticity? You get a good feeling from somebody in that moment. And amongst Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram? Well, LinkedIn for sure the, is the one that's most effective. When you're in contact with people, text, phone, or email? It depends on, so I have something called match.com for communication. Right. So, you know, when you were saying to me, oh, I look forward to seeing you today, I didn't need that in a text. I didn't need it in a call. It was great that it was email because then as I was driving by here, I was like, okay, what was the address? It was all there. You made it so easy. If I'm running late, I'm not gonna call you because you're in a studio. Right. You know, so part of it is, I don't think it's the communication. You wanna match the communication for what the moment of what you're trying to communicate and with whom. Diane, thank you. You're welcome, my pleasure. Diane Darling, author, speaker, and innovative networker. Coming up, how do you define networking? And what do you get out of it? But first, when you network, what are you looking for? That's up next on The Language of Business. Back to Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. Everyone goes to networking functions, but do they actually work? Steve Snyder could perhaps best be described as a consummate connector. He is a partner and entrepreneur in residence at Gessmer Upgrove, and welcome to The Language of Business. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. What does a consummate connector mean? A consummate connector, I don't ascribe to that, but thank you for the compliment. I simply try to create value for entrepreneurs, and, and much of that is through connecting them to valuable resources that they need. You're a partner and entrepreneur in residence at a law firm. Where's the punchline? There is no punchline, but it is unique, and I think it's enormously valuable for our clients. My focus at the firm is not practicing law, although all of my partners do that. My focus is working with entrepreneurs to help create value for their businesses, to help drive revenue, increase profitability, and help them be successful. What does your ideal entrepreneurial client look like? The ideal client doesn't depend upon the business. It depends upon the entrepreneur himself or herself. I want to work with people that are really smart, that are open and thoughtful and considerate, understand their areas of strength and understand where they may not be as strong, and then want to build a team around themselves. That's what I think is ideal. You and your firm are extremely avant-garde at sponsoring different events, at hosting events yourself. How many of them actually generate money? I would like to think they all do. But this isn't just about creating money. This is about encouraging the ecosystem, making the ecosystem more successful, and helping entrepreneurs. Once an entrepreneur has become a client, if you haven't heard from them in a while, what do you do, if anything? I stay in touch with all of the entrepreneurs with whom I work constantly whether it's by phone call, email, going out to visit. I try to be very proactive with them. I don't wait for them to call, 
because I'm really focused on their business challenges, so it's important for me to stay involved. I've received a number of your emails entitled, I hope you meet. Are those based on an algorithm or do you just keep really, really good notes? I keep really good notes, I think, but I also continuously ask clients, ask entrepreneurs a question. And the question is, what are your three biggest business challenges over the next six to nine months? And often that includes, I need a salesperson, I need developer, I need a CFO, I need something. And, and that's where you go to work, even though it doesn't involve necessarily practicing law internally. That's exactly right. It's all about creating value. So let's talk through the thread. If somebody says they need a salesperson, what do you do? I look through my Rolodex, an old term, yes. I guess that dates me, <laughs> but I look through my, my email file, my resumes, my Word document that I keep. I look for great salespeople that fit the particular vertical or type of company, and then I may make an introduction, or I may ask them to contact you, because you may know of salespeople or other valuable service providers. Vis-a-vis -vis your own business development efforts in the next six to nine months, what are your three biggest entrepreneurial challenges? Uh, the biggest challenge? I'll tell you what, I will tell you that this isn't a job for me, this is fun. I get to have fun every day. And you're grinning ear to ear, by the way, on this show, which is nice to see. I love what I do, it's not a job. So I don't know what those challenges are. Maybe the challenge is to take a vacation. I don't take many vacations because I love what I do. Maybe getting away for a few days is a challenge. What advice would you have for a would-be entrepreneur to build his or her business? That's a great question. One of the most valuable things that entrepreneurs can do is to build an advisory board around them, to give advice and guidance. Advisory boards, not boards of directors. Advisory boards including a serial entrepreneur, advisory boards including a serial, say, CFO, and an advisory board that includes someone directly from their industry that can help create value. And not a director board due to fiduciary duty or some other aspect? Some other aspect. Boards of directors are fine, but advisory boards are just that. They are advisors to the entrepreneur and to the team. They are extraordinarily valuable and you don't have to pay them. And how many of these people on the advisory board should be independently appointed as opposed to hand-selected by the entrepreneur, him or herself? The entrepreneur, the founder, would choose each of them. Steve, thank you. Thanks very much. Steve Snyder, partner and entrepreneur in residence at Gesmer Optigrove. Next up, when you network, what are you actually looking for? As the language of business look at networking continues. Once again, Craig Stoller. Everyone wants to do networking by the book, but it's quite another matter if you've actually written it. Juliette Mayers is my guest, and welcome to The Language of Business. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. You are the author of The Guide to Strategic Networking. What is the book about? It's networking with a plan. So the book is a framework to help people to navigate the world of networking with a vision and having a plan. And what does that mean in reality? So in reality, people often go through life meeting people, trying to make connections, and waiting for somebody to contact them. And this is a very deliberate approach of how one can create a plan to actually figure out how to strategically leverage your relationships while giving back. So it's starting out with a vision and a roadmap to get you there. Strategically, it sounds great. How does that relate to day-to-day -day operations? Uh, that's a very good question. On a day-to-day -day basis, if you've already created your plan, which is what I would recommend for most people, 
then you are looking for alignment. So every time you meet someone or even if you have a project to work on, you should be utilizing that framework of how does this align with the long-term plan that I have for myself and what are the relationships that are necessary to make sure that I'm successful in getting there. Community support is so much a part of what you do. Why has it become so important to you? It's been the hallmark of my entire life. I'm an immigrant from the island of Barbados. I had the opportunity to learn from many people, to be mentored by a lot of great people. And so it's very important to me to give back. And that's one of the ways in which I do it, including serving on the board of Eastern Bank which has a significant commitment to the community. And the CEO has been on our show before, terrific guy, Bob Rivers. You are an author, you are a coach, you are an advisor, which is given the most amount of your time? I think of it in a very integrated way. Certainly the advising takes a significant amount of time because I'm a consultant to a lot of large corporate executives and I also love to speak. Between the advising and the speaking, those take up the most of my time. Is all of your business equally profitable? Yes. It depends on how you measure profitability. And how do you? <laughs> so for me, I don't look at it in terms of just dollars and cents. For me, this is a life's journey. And it's really important to me to be able to help people solve their problems. Certainly from a financial standpoint, I make sure that my business is profitable, and it is. But in terms of what is most profitable, they're apples and oranges. Is networking the same between men and women? I don't think so. My very first book, which was A Black Woman's Guide to Networking, I talked more about that aspect. I did a lot of research and found that there really is a significant difference in how men network versus women. For example, men don't necessarily think of asking their colleagues to do them a favor or to help them with a business problem or what have you. Women, on the other hand, are less likely to do that. Many women feel like they're imposing if they ask a friend or a colleague who they've known for a long time to do them a favor or to help them solve a problem. They feel as if they're imposing. So I think the mindset is a lot different for men than it is for women. How about Americans versus immigrants? I don't see it as Americans versus immigrants at all. I think we're all immigrants, right? We're a nation of immigrants. And I think it's so important to change the dialogue and to change the framework around this uh, us against them because we're all in it together. Do you think people have cultural biases and will that affect their networking skills? Absolutely. I think everyone has cultural biases, myself included. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we come to the business world, to our environments with a particular lens. And I think the most important thing is being conscious of what that lens is and working across differences. And in terms of networking, I think once you've uncovered what your bias is, it's important to reach out, go beyond your comfort zone to make sure you're being inclusive of others. And how do you think the networking landscape is going to change in the next, say, two to four years? There's gonna be a lot more online connections. Uh, we see it already with LinkedIn and with webinars and so forth, but I don't think that you'll ever take the place of the human direct interaction. So I think while the online community and technology will continue to grow, we will also see an uptick in people striving to get those personal connections, getting out there and continuing to meet people one-on-one. -on -one. Julia, thank you. You're welcome. Juliet Mayers, author of The Guide to Strategic Networking. Still to come, what can you actually expect to get out of networking when the language of business continues? Our sponsor is Art Lifting.
If you have a small business, or even if you run a Fortune 500 company, you can uplift the look of your office with Art Lifting. Art Lifting has over 1,300 artworks in a variety of styles and prices. You can buy them or rent them and switch them up on a rotation every month or so. But wait, there's more. All of the Art Lifting art is by artists who are homeless or dealing with disabilities. So you not only brighten and uplift your office, you're helping local communities across the USA. To learn more and view the collection, go to artlifting.com. You're listening to the Language of Business look at networking. One more time, back to Greg. Thanks, Don. Is it possible to be an effective networker without actually networking at all? Perhaps you could refer to my next guest as almost an un-networker. Henry Middleman, welcome to the Language of Business. What came first, your business success or your networking prowess? In my case, it was my business success, clearly. And why is that? Well, I spent 25 years working for a corporation who handled most of the networking for me. So it was really more about running the business itself. Why would you refer to yourself as almost an un-networker? I guess I feel that most people look at networking as something they have to do, don't put a whole lot of thought into necessarily strategically how to do it, and consequently they spend a lot of time and don't necessarily get a tremendous bang for their buck, so to speak. So if you know you're going to a cocktail party or a mixer, do you strategize in advance? Do you take notes afterwards? I think you should strategize in advance. Uh, I think people go to as many networking events as they possibly can, thinking they're going to meet a lot of people, and it's a numbers game. Quite frankly, I think it's more meeting the right people as opposed to meeting a lot of people. When strategizing in advance, do you know who's coming, or do you just get there a little bit early to go around the room? I would make sure I knew who was going to be there, do a little research. If you can get a list of the people who are going to be attending, and try to know a little bit about them, a little bit about their company, so you can have a, a meaningful conversation with them as opposed to it just unfolding and having no control over what's gonna take place. You are a number one Amazon best-selling author, Unstuck yes. for Good, but yet you published that book in 2016. Why did you wait so long? Great question. I guess it took me that long to figure out, did I really have something that was meaningful to say that people would, it would resonate with. And consequently, it took me about 30 years to figure that out. How much is networking integrated into your work as, say, a business coach? A lot. Well, again, I think it's part of an overall strategy of understanding who your customer is, who your prospect needs to be, and having a process to actually go through to ensure your time is well spent. And I think that's the bottom line. Why would you network with somebody after they've become a client of yours? Well, your clients are actually your, the best people for you to network with. I think many, many uh, companies or business owners, once they have a client, tend to forget about them. And they can be your greatest resource from a referral standpoint and also lifetime value of that individual. The more you can build a relationship with them, the greater revenue ultimately they're going to provide to you as, as a business. What advice would you give to a soon-to-graduate, either college graduate or business school graduate, in terms of networking? I think to take it more seriously than they probably would on their own, as opposed to something that I have to do. And I think many people look at it as, gee, we have to network, so we'll go, as opposed to really giving it a lot of thought and, again, having a process to go about it. Is networking different based on your generation? I'm sure there are certain aspects that are different, but the bottom line is, it's all about relationships. 
And I think relationships for millennials, relationships for more senior people, the bottom line is it's the same. Forging new relationships or maintaining those relationships over time? All of the above. Forging new ones without maintaining your old ones, you'll be on a treadmill. That's not going to get you too far. Henry, thank you. Sure. Henry Middleman, number one Amazon best-selling author for Unstuck for Good and official un-networker. Thanks, Greg. And that's our episode this week. You can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes. We now have downloads in 40 countries. Welcome to Paraguay, or in Spanish, Paraguay. And in 32 states, welcome to Kentucky, the home of bourbon. We appreciate the support. If you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Thank you. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to The Language of Business.